0: I'm Jennifer Isabella, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, we're joined by three of our analysts to discuss the impact of COVID-19 on the financial services industries. First, we'll have Ellen Carney here to discuss the insurance sector. Secondly, Jacob Morgan will provide an update on the banking industry. And lastly, Vijay Raghavan will discuss the impact on wealth management. Thank you all for joining me today.
1: Hi, Jen. Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Good to be here.
3: Jen, thanks for having me join today.
0: So, Ellen, I'd love to kick off with you around what you're seeing in the insurance space, particularly to the impact of COVID-19, impact on companies, consumer behavior, what is happening today and in the short term?
3: Well, obviously, Jen, there's a lot going on. You know, it's having significant impact in consumer behavior, in consumer cash flows. And obviously, um, because there's no consumer demand, you're seeing big impact in businesses as well. So, you know, one of the things that carriers are doing is offering rebate programs, leniency programs, um, uh, you know to kind of address that kind of diminished cash flows for both businesses as well as consumers. So that's not an uncommon one. We think obviously one of the other things that are going to happen is consumers are going to go shopping. Um, How can I get a better deal on my insurance? Because we know that 32 percent of Americans are saying, hey, I'm managing my finances, you know, even tighter than I have before. So shopping is going to rise. Obviously, you know, in in, you know, in quarantine world that we're all kind of living in right now, if you have a claim, no one is going to come see you. You're going to have to do a lot more yourself, and you know, even if you have any other kinds of service requests, like a billing question or something like that, you're going to go online. You're going to start using the digital tools that insurance companies have invested a gazillion dollars in that are now finally going to get used. Um, and then there's going to be some other interesting stuff with that household cash flow. Is you know, you're seeing with all these premium leniencies and rebate programs, this is going to have some big impact on billing and payment systems for insurance companies. You know. And obviously this is, uh, you know, this could be, um, uh, you know, kind of an interesting inflection point there. And then I think the final interesting thing is, you know, why should I pay for car insurance if my car is sitting idle in the driveway 98% of the time? So, you know, this could be an interesting inflection point for subscription-based car insurance, usage-based buy-the-drink kinds of car insurance coverage. You know, we've been wondering when this is ever going to happen. You know, know, every year, a third of consumers say, I'm really interested in this. And we've been four to 5% of consumers actually buying it. This might be what gets them over the hump.
0: Yeah, a little bit of an accelerant on that potential trend there. Are you seeing any regional nuances because obviously this pandemic is you know it's not occurring all at the same time so is there anything there um to point
3: out well a lot of the consumer behavior jen is just almost a matter of degree you know consumers in europe are doing many of the same things that we see consumers in the in the u.s doing um you know, in terms of managing finances, missing payments, um, you know, being worried about a severe recession. So, you know, it's not too much. I think it's probably an issue of matter of degree. And, you know, in different markets with different regulatory um, requirements, I think that's where you really see the difference.
0: So, Jacob, in banking, any similarities in terms of behavior there and, and how banks are responding?
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, we're seeing a very similar thing. Consumers are extremely uh, concerned at the moment in terms of, you know, the the state of the economy and the state of their own finances. It's kind of a twofold thing. They have that kind of immediate concern about their own job and whether or not they're actually going to be employment, how their employer is actually going to um, weather the storm, but also the impact on household finances. Uh, And that kind of has a knock on impact onto a lot of the services that uh, banks provide. So, for example, if you're providing payment services, all of a sudden there is a huge drop in in transaction volume. You know, whole sectors have stopped functioning. You know, no one is flying anywhere. Commuters aren't um, commuting anymore. You know, everybody is working from home. So there's a there's a, a, a very real and tangible change to people's lives at the moment. And certainly, from a banking perspective, the banks themselves initially were relatively kind of stiff in their response. They weren't particularly empathetic, but very quickly. I think they realized the genuine anxiety and concern that consumers had and the the real and tangible impact that um, COVID was having on on households. And they quickly moved to shifting the communications that they had with customers and and really um, empathizing in a way that we haven't really seen banks do uh, for a long time. But not just doing that, actually then following up with payment holidays, with suspending mortgage payments, with um, eliminating fees on certain products, or indeed, you know, offering credit Credit extensions where it was sensible for them to do so. So there's there's been that sort of consumer-based impact, but also the, the, the shift in terms of literally going from a sort of face-to-face and branch-based environment to, to one where, you know, you are having to communicate with your customers online or you're having to communicate via um, contact centers and via the telephone. And these contact centers and telephone based systems aren't necessarily fully operational anyway, because, you know, that model was broken in terms of not being able to move your employees around fast enough. Um, you know one of the interesting things that we potentially anticipate coming out of this is a lot of the offshoring of contact centres may may well end up being slightly reversed because you know some of the areas where contact centres were offshored too weren't able to support um, lockdowns themselves and the fact that you know they just didn't have the infrastructure to relocate to running their staff from home for example so you know there is a, p- a possibility of nearshoring uh, being some Thing that we see in the future as a result of this.
0: And you sort of alluded to this, obviously, the digital kind of interactions and connections in retail. Let's say we saw an extreme acceleration of, of certain types of functionality, um, curbside pickup, the like. Was there something within banking that got accelerated? Or to Ellen's point, there's been this talk of a certain trend that we think now is sort of at a potentially a tipping point, um, but particular to banking?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that have definitely um, been visible. One is around the way that people are paying, for example, which which kind of overlaps with retail. Um, cash is perceived as dirty, you know, the, the COVID virus lives on a hard objects for 72 hours. So you don't want a handful of, of um, change in your pocket, for example. So people are now using contactless and mobile based payments far more. And they're being prompted to and reminded to by retailers at the point of sale. So, you know, it's a good opportunity to migrate some of your holdout customers potentially onto digital payments. So that's certainly one impact that we've seen. Um, but another impact has been on the rapid digitization of any. Um, offline or in-branch processes. So for example, your acquisition model might have broken literally overnight because people weren't able to go into branch and physically present documents if they ended up in an exception queue whilst applying for a product. So we've we've seen things like um, digital signatures be a real um, area where people have focused because you know business does not stop. It's heavily impacted and it's slowed down, but you still need to keep the wheels of uh, industry functioning. So a Lots of sort of digital signatures and um, those kind of uh, imaging processes are moved online.
0: Thanks. And and Vijay, are you seeing some similar trends within the wealth management space as well?
1: Oh, definitely. I think you know just hearing from from Ellen and Jake, it's the same. um, You know, surfacing the importance of you know customer, you know, having empathy for customers. You know, right now is so important given all the challenges they're facing because of COVID-19. Um, Some recent data that I've seen as it relates to, you know, wealth management, um, you know, we asked the question, you know, what financial activities have you found challenging during this pandemic? And it was really interesting. The top three challenges customers are having right now are, number one, not having access to a physical branch or office, number two, knowing what investment decisions make sense during this time of um, economic uncertainty, and finally, you know, accessing customer service and support. as clients and you know, as, as customers ourselves, you know, we're worried about our investments. And the one thing you want to do is seek out advice, talk to someone in person, your financial advisor, go to the branch, and all these things are simply not possible right now. So in my view, the last two months, that's been, I think, the real short-term consequence and the eye-opening impact for financial services firms to really figure out how to um, figure out these, you know, these channels and be able to connect with customers digitally. Um, Another um, trend I'm watching is around robo-advisors. Now, remember these platforms, um, they have not operated through a full economic cycle. So I've been eagerly watching to see how they've been automatically managing downside risk um, as the markets have gone up and down. And interestingly, a lot of um, cash has been brought into these firms. A lot of customers are opening accounts, probably because they have an easy account opening experience. And and it, I think it's all too early to tell. However, I think the robo advisors that do have human advisors as one of their services are going to be the ones that succeed compared to the ones that are purely digital. Um, and and finally, another point I want to you know share is just the importance of reliability and trust. Um, you know the, the top two reasons customers choose an investment provider is number one low fees and number two reputation. And I think in these times when of economic uncertainty i think that reputation is going to become increasingly important uh, you know com- customers are going to choose a firm an incumbent firm that they're familiar with that they can see versus a firm that you know perhaps has only been around for 10 years or so
2: and it's, it's interesting that you should sort of make those comments around, um, you know, the the need that people have for that that um, interaction with an advisor, because certainly one of the things that we are seeing is that because consumers aren't commuting, because consumers aren't able to go out to the cinema, go out and eat, go out and, uh, you know, be entertained anymore, they're actually saving money. So they are actually, some consumers, um, some customers out there are actually looking to invest at the moment and indeed capitalise on some of the uh, the stressed share prices that you see out there but equally what we do see is people are still after that um, that advice they are still after a human at the end of the line at some point and it's 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 almost counterintuitive it's like in fact younger people people that you might anticipate to be more digital that are actually after more financial advice partly potentially because of their financial immaturity um, but it's important for people to recognize that it's not a case of replacing or accelerating all of your digital transformation at the moment there is still a really really important um, place for that trust and that trust is built on that uh, engagement with with the customer and now is really a time for a lot of organizations to prove that and prove their value
0: and kind of digging into that trust piece a little bit more because i think it's interesting what you were mentioning bj like the you know potentially the incumbent, so to speak, may have that built up that trust over time, and maybe less of these digital native firms. But it's not a time to rest on your laurels, right? To cause assume that based if you've been in business for a hundred years, you know folks are going to be coming to you. Like there's that's a balance, and you still need to be proving that you have empathy and understanding, and also digital tools to maybe. Help make it easier, but that human advice and guidance um, to kind of package those things together. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, definitely agree with that 100%. In fact, I mean, it was the robo advisors who, you know, emerged with this very innovative technology and service that was the catalyst that prompted the incumbent firms to to really accelerate their digital services. Um, you know, Charles Schwab, for example, introduced a robo advisor type service because of these innovative firms that were introducing it originally. And they have to continue to accelerate their investments in both onboarding digitally and servicing customers digitally.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, just to kind of capitalize on the point that both you made, Jen, and Jake made, it's, you know, empathy is good for business right now um, in terms of really building up what what, uh, Vijay had talked about is that trust and reputation. you know, how companies are going to be perceived. the long tail of negative PR will be about how well they demonstrate empathy for people who are calling into call centers with I'm having trouble paying or I can't pay for my car insurance or, you know, frankly, there's been a COVID death in my family and, you know, I can't go into a branch or anything like that to kind of close accounts or, you know, take care of the life insurance claim. So, you know, this is going to be a real distinguishing time in terms of that empathy component that, you know, both you and Jake brought up.
0: And I think that's a perfect segue to discuss maybe the longer term implications here, right? So like the the handling of this current moment in time will have long term implications across financial services and frankly, all industries. Um, What other things do you anticipate seeing in terms of longer term implications?
3: the stuff we've been talking around, digital transformation and digital use, you know, that's really been a matter of degree. We've made investments in digital capabilities and finally there's now a reason for consumers to actually use it. So these investments are going to really pay off, but I think there's some bigger structural changes. For instance, um, and this predated even in the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009, um, workers' compensation insurance is going to be an endangered species. Um, You know, consumers, you know, businesses aren't going to be hired employees are going to be using contractors. You know, they're going to be working from home. And so um, workers' comp is going to change in rather dramatic ways. You know, I've talked about household cash flows. Um, And, of course, one of the big gripes that insurance companies had is our billing systems are not going to be able to support these kind of, you know, seasonal premium billing programs that we have for consumers. Guess what? They are fixing that now. So expect to see that as a you know a, a new kind of modernization strategy for insurance organization. This is gonna be, you know, how they're gonna, you know, act in a new and su- pretty sustaining normal. Um, I think we're gonna see some industry consolidation over time too. You know, depending on how severe this recession is, you're gonna have impaired insurance companies. Um, and you may see maybe a surprising um, non-insurance company picks somebody up, Um, agent models, you know, so the classic captive agent models that companies like state farm and Allstate have kind of employed, these are, you know, you know, exclusive, um, agents for their businesses. That's going to go away. You know, it's going to go towards independent agents and even more scary aggregators here in the U S market. So, you know, I think the, you know, those are a few changes, but I think the biggest change you're going to see in the business of insurance is products. So products are going to change in really dramatic ways. Um, They're going to be able to be more, you know, buy the drink, more usage based. Um, You're going to be able to pause products and even imagine coveraging morphing around changes in your life automatically or changes in your business maturity. So these are, you know, we're, we're kind of setting up for a very interesting shift in terms of what the new normal in insurance is going to be.
0: Sounds like it's going to be a little bit more customer centric, if you ask me. I think so. <laughs> Jacob, what about what about banking here? What are the long term or longer term implications?
2: Well, it's it's um it's very similar to what what Helen was outlining there, and um, but unfortunately, I think winter is coming. There's there's a definite. Uh, definite drawing in um that that will be required because you know this what covid has brought is is a long-term impact um, it's going to be a long tail a long impact on consumer expenditure on consumer confidence there's going to be a string of collapsed merchants of collapsed businesses um, potentially entire sectors which is you know going to cause a complete redrawing of people's assumptions about macroeconomics and that will drive recession that will drive defaults and companies financial firms have to prepare for that they have to understand what exposure they have on their balance sheets um, but also there is that structural shift in the market um, we, we're going to see a move towards more temporary workers as um, as ellen was was talking about so you know the gig, gig economy will drive new product innovation people will need um, new products and services from a financial perspective but equally a lot of the assumptions that those um, products are built on are now up for question, people never anticipated a global pandemic. Um, You know, a lot of the models that people have built around risk, around exposure, you know, those all need to be rethought. Um, People will be falling into mortgage arrears that were never predicted to fall into mortgage arrears through no fault of their own. Um, So there is a genuine sort of uncertainty around exactly how financial products will play out. And, you know, we're going to see a big focus on analytics. And again, in terms of that customer centricity, truly understanding the customer and positioning your from that empathetic side, you know, so you're moving perhaps from rates that penalise to looking at how you can perhaps offset some of those rates and some of those challenges in order to help your customers and and, and keep them loyal. Um, But equally, one of the things that that we've, we've noticed as a result of the crisis period is a real speed up in terms of the pace of innovation. You kind of have that thing that, you know, necessity is the mother of innovation, essentially. you are Forced to innovate to suddenly move an entire workforce online, for example, or think about how you can now close the gap with your customers now that you can't physically reach them, and that pace of change is unlikely to slow hugely. You know, the C level will now be keen on sustaining some of that, but without, you know, without burning out their staff. You know, we've seen um, people stand up. um, uh, the uh, the PPP process in, in the US, which is the, the um, employer uh, support process, literally from designing the products, getting the specification um, and designing and launching products with all of the digital support that that required for the application process and fully digitized capabilities in a matter of days. People think through how they can deliver services to their customers where their customers can't leave the house, you know, so challenger banks like starling um created a companion card so you can basically nominate a member of your family or or a close friend with a limited spend card to go out and do your, your shopping for you you know so people have been innovating their way around this and, and that will continue that's certainly something that we will uh, we will see um, going forward
0: similar things in wealth management vj
1: yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's no question that I think across all three of these industries, there's going to be, you know, what everyone's calling that new normal. And I think within wealth management, there's there's already been an interest and an acceleration to build these digital sales and servicing capabilities. And the way I look at it, uh, when people want to talk about their investments and their goals for retirement long term, you have to, customer, firms have to find that balance of how do you personalize interactions to be both high tech and high touch. And advisors need to figure out a way to connect in an authentic way, you know, deliver, you know, digitally to deliver advice. And it's it's challenging that the, the key area that I think is gonna really change is gonna be around the onboarding process. And and Jake touched on this as well. Um, the notion of things like wet, sign, wet signatures and branch visits are simply gonna go away and firms need to figure out how to onboard customers and prospects digitally. How do I chat with a potential financial advisor, work together through co-browsing to develop a financial plan, uh, perhaps even open the account using facial recognition technology, and just open the entire account seamlessly and without even visiting a branch. Once you are a customer, all of the servicing aspects, not only between the advisor and the customer, but also a lot of the the back office support needs to be uh, managed digitally. Collaboration tools that enable document exchange and you know working through you know issues and, and cases just to keep things efficient and you know help the customers right now.
3: One thing I would you know also talk about you know some of the changes too is um, of course you know the, the long tail of of negative PR that Jake was talking about. Um, You know is certainly impacting insurance companies especially around the business side so things like business interruption insurance that got sold to small businesses thinking that oh my gosh my my retail business is closed down i'm going to be covered uh no um so you're going to actually see some interesting um government um industry partnerships moving forward sort of the same thing we saw after 9 11 with terrorism insurance where pandemic coverage will be backed up by the by governments, um, and you know that will give confidence for businesses to come back and things like that. But um, you know, I think that's another key thing is that the role of government is also going to get interesting here too. Yep, that intersection is very real.
1: Mm-hmm. The only other point I would make on reputation, is just the the notion of you know what happened with Robinhood during the early days of the pandemic the stock market went straight down and Robinhood, the free stock trading app was simply had an outage for the entire day. And so, you know, at a moment when customers, all they want to do is rely on a platform to sell their securities, move their money out, and it's unreliable and it's not working, that is just a bad customer experience. And they're going to, again, go for perhaps a tried and true firm that's perhaps been around more than 10 years that they trust.
2: And for me, um, financial well-being, um, that's going to become a critical area of focus going forward because customers are in stress positions now. They are not going to suddenly, you know, no one's waving a magic wand and they'll leave those overnight. So there is there is likely to be a strong interest in things like um, uh, financial well-being, but also innovation around debt management and collections. Um, you know, they are areas that uh, are... Often not really spoken about, but they will be areas that people will be looking to innovate in and tread softly in order to maintain the customer trust and um, you know support customers in an appropriate way. The fact that we're going to kind of move from social distancing to professional distancing, you know, you will have to think about how you physically support your workforce in an environment where you know, perhaps half of them are now working from home permanently, or indeed, you know, you, you literally do not have the same capacity in, in, in a building as you used to, or cannot um, see the same number of customers as you used to on the front desk, for example. So again, there's going to be some creativity needed around that in order to, you know, make your workforce feel comfortable coming back to work, um, but also just to manage the, the sheer throughput that, that you were used to handling in the past.
0: Great. Thanks, Jacob. And thanks to you all for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Jenny. It was great to be here.
0: Hope this is valuable to our listeners.
2: Yeah, and I just echo Ellen's comments. Uh, thank you for the opportunity.
0: If you like what you heard today, subscribe to Forrester's What It Means podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. To continue the conversation, follow Forrester on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.